1: Brian, kill Thanks so much for
2: listening, everybody. Brian, kill me. Show. Happy to be with you on this Tuesday, where a lot is going on. But that's almost every day today, no exception. Uh, we will watch, of course, when Senator Ted Cruz talks about Antifa, because the Senate's going to do an investigation. We got to get to the bottom of that. Senate Foreign Relations Committee will also meet about uh, Venezuela. We'll keep an eye on that. And the President of the United States, uh, the President of the United States, will uh, be hanging out with the Vice President as well today. And also some good news we don't talk enough about. we got the space program back on track. SpaceX had a uh, crew land in the ocean, first time in decades. Uh, that actually crew is back, no quarantine anymore. So they'll be able to meet with the press today and talk about what they found out at the space station as we're back in business. Keep in mind, nobody brings it up, including the Trump team, but it was the Obama administration that literally destroyed and left to die the whole space program. And I would not be surprised if the Space Coast remembers that in Florida come election time. Lieutenant Colonel Alan Wes used to be a congressman from Florida. He is going to be with us in 30 minutes. In 10 minutes, I'm going to take your calls. And keep in mind, if you love the show and ever want to watch us, we're on Fox Nation every single day, uh, your favorite app. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
3: The stress on the cops right now is beyond uh, our comprehension. Um, They are getting bashed by the press and the media. They're getting bashed by their own community leaders. They're getting bashed by the mayors and the governors.
2: Commissioner, I hear you. And we're going to break this down because we're at the breaking point. New York City. 179% 179% increase in shootings. Portland, just as bad. Minneapolis, you're not going to believe what they've just told their citizens. Just three of our major cities at their breaking point as we struggle with the basic law and order of our society. Under horrible elected leadership as another major city gets rid of elite teams. SWAT units gone in Boston. Unbelievable. Another version of defunding the police, if you ask me. How does any of this make sense?
4: Number
5: two, there should never be and there is no goal to stop college students from getting an infection they have no problem with. Ninety nine uh, I think, eight percent of deaths are in people over 24. There's no problem for
2: college students. And that is Dr. Scott Atlas. He's talking about the covid challenge back to school. Of course, doctors weigh in on the risks. Facts versus fiction versus politics. Number one.
6: Well, there's never been a push like this for mail-in ballots. And if you look at the New York congressional race, which is a disaster, it's been a total disaster. They're six weeks into it now. They have no clue what's going on.
2: Uh, That is so true. The 2020 uh, mail-in ballot clash coming to a head as Nevada goes postal. As everybody sleeps, they decide, the governor does, on his own to make to send everybody out a ballot. This is polls begin to show a Trump campaign coming to life as the Dems prepare for a bow out of the Biden debates. And I'm telling you, that would be a huge mistake as the gaff master sits in his basement and does script after script. But very few interviews. So let's begin in 2020 and talk about the election. Here's what I'm talking about in terms of something promising on the Trump team. I always brought up, and I got some blowback on that, when you look at all these polls, even if they're all technically and traditionally unfriendly to the president, but they're showing pretty much the same gap between Trump and Biden. So you have to say Trump is trailing, and I think he is trailing. A lot has to do with what's going on in the world. For example, after Katrina, if George W. Bush was going against John Kerry, he would have lost. Remember how badly that was handled, how we seem to miss that. I have no interest in going back there and talking about it. But the Iraq war, right after it happened, excuse me, the Iraq invasion, Bush 41, uh, it goes well. We push him out of Kuwait. He had 90 plus percent approval rating. He ends up losing the re-election. Got it. So I'm just going to bring this up. Rasmussen, who tends to be more friendly towards Republicans, really friendly now. They have his approval rating at fifty one percent. People say, wow, wait a second, Zogby has something different, Reuters has something different, poll is something different. But Keep your eye on the others. You watch as these polls come out, the gaps will close. So, Rasmussen says approval of 51%. Barack Obama, same time in his uh, first term, 44% approval. The economist Hugh Gov shows the president's supporters far more enthusiastic about him voting for him than Biden's. That is reaffirmed. That gap was closing, not in this poll. Different company. And, of Biden supporters said they're enthusiastic compared to 68% of the supporters for Trump. That's a promising thing for the Trump people. 53% of Biden supporters says they're extremely or very enthusiastic compared to 76% of Trump people. So having said that, Trump is determined to have elections being done on Election Day, November 3rd. We hope the virus has subsided substantially by then. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but we hope it has. If it hasn't, the Trump team has to say we're going to expand the number of ballot stations a number of places to go to vote. We're going to triple it. We're going to staff it. We're going to clean it. There's going to be clean teams there. And there's going to be protocols to make people feel better. And if you are somebody that wants an absentee ballot, maybe for the first time, you have tuberculosis or you have uh, diabetes and you know that this virus is going to seek you out, stay home. Got it. But if you're healthy, you should get out. Because I believe, personally, these mail-in ballots are a potential disaster for both sides. And the president brought out what's happening in New York. They still don't have a winner. And almost everybody voted through the mail. Cut one.
6: Well, there's never been a push like this for mail-in ballots. And if you look at the uh, New York congressional race, which is a disaster, Carolyn, it's been a total disaster. They have... They're six weeks into it now. They have no clue what's going on. And, I mean, I think I can say right here and now, I think you have to rerun that race because it's a mess. Nobody knows what's happening with the ballots and the lost ballots and the fraudulent ballots, I guess.
2: He's 100 percent right. Even Drudge, which has been predominantly anti-Trump these days, talks about the damage being done and the delays at the post office. I'm not one of these people to pile on the post office. A lot of good people look at that. I have a lot of pride in that job. It's, it's unbelievably slow. It's not efficient. They lose money every day. I don't want to put down people that do that, especially that do the hard thing in 110 degree weather to deliver my mail. I'm the last person, and many of which have their um, uh, AirPods in listening to the show right now. I'm not putting you down, but I just don't believe the election should be on your shoulders, and that's the problem. So what's happening? In Democratic states, which are in play, I believe Nevada could be in play, with Democratic-run state, the governor's Democrat, he goes out in the middle of the night, decides everybody gets a ballot. Cut to.
6: Now you're talking about like Nevada, where last two nights ago they they went out and in the darkness of night without... People, without having any meetings of the public, without having anything they approved, are ridiculous. You don't have to look at signatures. You don't have to approve anything. You can have double mailings. You can have all sorts of things. Nobody's ever seen anything like it. It's a disgrace. I mean, honestly, it's a disgrace.
2: How many more states are going to do this? We know about Oregon. They've always done it that way. But it's just too much pressure on on human beings to look through plexiglass and decide what ballot and who they voted for and then have it doubled. On November 3rd, the worst thing that could happen is for us to not have a winner. If it's too close to call— Uh, Bush-Gore, that's a -a once-in-a-lifetime operation. It shouldn't be the case. I mean, for example, Donald Trump won 30 states to Hillary Clinton's 20 states, but only a few thousand in Michigan and Wisconsin in particular decided it. At least you want the machine to do it. You don't want it hackable. You don't want an agenda. And worse yet, you don't want to doubt. Can you imagine if it's too close to call and we have to go recount all these ballots and the weeks are going to go on and major decisions will have to be made and they'll say Trump is uh, staying in an office where he shouldn't and Biden belongs there or Biden really lost. He should just admit it and let Trump get started with his uh, second term and uh, things will just be potentially devastating. It could actually, to me, divide the country. So I think he's right to set this up. But he should come back and acknowledge the pandemic and say, I got a plan. And this is what I like to do. And maybe there's a Chris Coons, a Joe Manchin who's talkable, workable, pliable, not pliable. But I would say that somebody that would be cooperative and saying, yeah, I I do understand what's going on. The other thing that's happening is they're trying to get out of the debates big time. By the way, before we go uh, off this topic, if you want to talk about inappropriate, April Ryan covers the White House. She hates the president. So – and she covers the White House. She wrote a book about how the president treats her. I don't think anyone bought it. Maybe she's still bitter. But if you're sitting in CNN and you're actually doing a debate and you're a White House correspondent, I guess she gives her opinion. I don't know how you get to the White House every day. It's like if we send Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson into the White House you know, to cover the White House every day. Yeah, once in a while they'll come in. But for the most part, they don't belong there. They're supposed to be reporting the news. So here's April Ryan. This is her, her twisted vision. Cut 11. There's going to be a split screen on
7: January 20th, 2021. If Joe Biden is now going to be the 46th president of the United States, you will have him being inaugurated and and, and watching police and armed forces trying to pull Donald Trump out of the White House. I cannot wait for that split screen.
2: You nuts. Are you, are you insane? We're going to take calls in about 10 minutes. So a couple of things on the vice presidential search. I don't know how Congresswoman Karen Bass, who I knew almost nothing about, seems nice. She spent her youth worshiping in Cuba, loves the Cuban government. Don't think that she was there for the Cuban people like she's telling everybody. She's caught on tape praising Scientology, which I don't have a major problem with, but it's extremely controversial uh, group that's got some dicey things in its background. And the guy, and when Fidel Castro dies, she basically thinks the whole world should mourn. She has no substantial accomplishments, legislative success stories, hasn't really stood for anything that positive. Marco Rubio calls her a Castro sympathizer. How is she a finalist? Kamala Harris and I believe Susan Rice. I think that's it. Tammy Duckworth could do it. But I have a problem with Tammy Duckworth, who can't even come to grips with the fact that George Washington should have a statue and hasn't been asked about it. So I think things are gradually coming back to Trump. And I think if Republicans are smart, they keep their powder dry on every vice presidential candidate because they got the opposition research ready to go. So it's not a problem. But if you go ahead and attack somebody too much and make them seem too vulnerable, they won't get there. And what you want is somebody vulnerable that uh, there's somebody you could actually take on. So Victor Davis Hanson was on last night, and he talks about some of the trends with this election. Now, it looked kind of bleak in June and July. Uh, towards the, the middle of July, things started changing, and he believes this whole vice presidential pick, which the vice president, former vice president boxed himself into, and his lack of ability and willingness to campaign at all or do interviews will hurt, cut 10.
8: Joe Biden's got a real problem because if he's going to go with a vetted candidate like Susan Rice or Kamala Harris, they don't get along. They have high negatives. So he reaches out to appease his base with somebody like Karen Bass. And these people are not vetted. And all of a sudden we hear all of these crazy stories about Scientology and Fidel Castro. And that's, that's a real problem. And as Trump starts to get up in the polls, 43 or 44, Laura, Joe Biden's strategy heretofore pretty successful of staying in the basement, rope adult, yeah. And not going out, he's going to have to come out. And once he comes out, I, I'm afraid to say that those cognitive issues seem to be enhanced by being in the basement. He didn't get a lot of stimulation.
2: I don't, yeah, I'm not sure about what, how he's being stimulated. But I know he has not a strong candidate. He did not win the primaries outright. He does not have momentum. He was picked there to prevent Bernie Sanders from representing the party. When we come back, the latest on COVID-19, three hotspots remain hot, but they're bending in the right direction. Arizona bending big time. Uh, Texas beginning to bend as well as Florida. A lot of concerns in Mississippi, Missouri, and perhaps Michigan, Hawaii as well, and Alaska. So rural and urban are susceptible. The only thing we could do is be disciplined in the way in our behavior, but on the other side, they're really that, uh, that I know of outside remdesivir is not necessarily, uh, we don't have really a treatment and we don't have a vaccine. The good news is we're getting closer on both until that time. It's a hold on tight. 1-866-408-7669. Big show. Don't move.
1: Holding our politicians feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for OutKick the show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on OutKick.com forward slash watch.
2: As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career there's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now, Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in... Blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path.
1: Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
5: He's running to the left because he's not strong enough to stand up for himself. If you watched the primaries from the very beginning, Joe Biden was a cork in the ocean floating leftward. And that's one of the things he used to try to win the primary. You know, you would think if he had the courage of his convictions, if he had strength, if he had will and fortitude, he would stand up for the things he used to believe in. But no that was part of the whole movement of the entire Democratic Party of the left. And Joe Biden went happily
2: along with it. But the question is, number one, what is he going to do as a campaigner? And then what's he going to do as a president? So you have Bernie Sanders basically saying, let him get elected and then we're going to slap him. AOC and company are already part, almost part of the Biden administration, should he in fact win. At some point, He's got to be forced, pushed, categorized by a legitimate questioner, whether it's Jonathan Swan or Chris Wallace. Listen, what are you? Are you the guy from 1994, law and order guy? Are you the guy that lets everybody out of prison like Mayor de Blasio? If not, why didn't you condemn it? Where about Antifa's president in Portland? You know, what about the defunding of the cops to the tune of 50 percent? Why haven't you spoken out and said that was bad? Because you know the answer to that. Because I don't want to alienate African-Americans who believe that the law enforcement in many cases are the problem. Not my next guest, Colonel West. So you got to push him on that. Make a decision. And I don't know is not going to suffice at 77 years old after 47 years in Washington. And for some reason— Trump, from a distance, without a convention and a rally, has trouble doing this because he won't come out. He doesn't have a tough interview, even a mildly tough interview with George Stephanopoulos, where the president can go, what is this? What did he say? Look at the contradiction. No, he meets on Zoom with supporters, collects money, has people speak on his behalf. And when he gets a vice presidential candidate, unless it's the second coming of Who would be a great... JFK. uh, He's going to still have to lead this entire process. And that person's going to be vetted. And then they're going to begin to make mistakes. And if they start going to the left of where... Out of the gates and ready to go.
9: Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion. And it's available wherever you find your audio.
2: Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're gonna bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And
9: while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast. Like, subscribe, and share.
2: Biden wants to be goodbye moderates and those people who are independent and have left Trump because he's too crude and rude, they'll say, listen, I can't go along with this. I will not elect AOC. Moderates and independents, I don't believe, are there to elect AOC, Elon Omar, or Bernie Sanders. But listen to what Sanders said on Sunday. This is so key. But what we are engaged in
4: now is what we call coalition politics. We're going to fight out our differences after Biden is elected. Mm -hmm. But right now, the immediate task is to come together to defeat Trump. And then as progressives, we're going to do everything that we can to make the Biden administration the most progressive administration
2: that it can become. And he said, look at what I've outlined. I can be the most progressive president since FDR. Oops. Goodbye, moderates. Goodbye, independents. Goodbye, moderate, independent background uh, that shows that he can re- reach across the aisle. Can't have it both ways. It's up to Trump to make him define it and the press to actually make him talk. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West... On that and more, Brian Kilmeade.
10: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to the Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. <laughs>
1: Fast as three hours in radio. You're
10: with Brian Kilmeade.
2: Has our terror, has the terror threat diminished?
11: No, it is not. Um, if, if anything, uh, the information I'm getting from sources in, in high levels of, of uh, law enforcement is that the domestic terror threat is, is, um, is worse now than it's ever been. So um, we certainly have problems on the international front. Domestic terrorism is going up. There's a lot of unrest in the country. It's and- a very difficult time.
2: Uh, yet they're cutting the SWAT team out of Boston. Unbelievable. The SWAT team that took off of well, we don't use him that much. Ed Davis was trying to be political, but as the former Boston police commissioner with a pretty good reputation, it's got to really bother him. Uh, what do you think as we bring in Lieutenant Colonel uh, Allen West, also a member of the uh, National Guard? He is now running the Texas GOP as the, uh, well, he's also a senior fellow of the Media Research Center and chairman of the, Re- the Republican Party of Texas. Uh, Colonel, welcome back.
12: It's good to be with you, Brian. How are you?
2: I just can't believe it. I mean, we we had this idiot mayor in New York decide I'm going to be cutting a billion dollars out, not because we're out of money, but we're going to cut it out and give money to youth programs. And then you have uh, Boston saying, we got to get rid of our SWAT team. How does this stuff make sense?
12: Well, it doesn't make sense. And I want you to think about this, Brian. This past weekend— We have what is called in the military terms a VBIED, a vehicle-borne improvised explosive device. That means a car bomb, truck bomb, uh, a van bomb that was driven into a police uh, center in Seattle, Washington. This is what is happening in the United States of America. And, of course, the mayor of Seattle blamed the president for it. That is a tool that terrorists use in combat zones. And now we see this tool being used here in the United States of America. So when we talk about domestic terrorism, when you look at what is going on in Portland, the attacks that are on uh, federal buildings there, this is an insurgency. And with an insurgency, you have to take very drastic actions. But yet we see these Democrat mayors, like you have just mentioned, in Boston or in New York or Seattle and Portland, They are standing with the mob. They are standing with the insurgents. They are uh, promoting and advancing the wanton lawlessness, and, and I call it the rule of the mob. And when you talk about abolishing ICE, you talk about defunding police, you're talking about undermining the rule of law and law of order. So what is it that these progressive socialists, the Democrat Party, want? And Gerald Nadler comes out, and he says Antifa is just a myth. Well, there's countless uh, amounts of evidence of Antifa. As a matter of fact, 10 to 11 buses of Antifa and Black Lives Matter protesters Mm. showed up in the capital city of Austin this weekend.
2: Today, Senator Cruz chairs a panel that's going to be looking into Antifa's role in Minneapolis, Portland, and Seattle specifically, and maybe New York, at least for a week. i got to find out who's funding these guys. There's no way these group of unemployed twenty uh, somethings are ambitious enough and driven enough and knowledgeable enough to put together an organization that's got coordination and assets I don't see there's got to be something behind them
12: no you're absolutely right and and when you say unemployed twenty year olds there was a chart that showed that some of the antifa protesters that were arrested in Portland were school teachers. Now, why would you want to have these type of individuals that are teaching your kids that are going out and promoting chaos and anarchy and attacking law enforcement and federal agents? But you're right. When you think about 10 to 11 buses that show up with people here in in Texas and the the capital city of Austin, who pay for the buses, who who pay for the gas, who pay for the food for the people? That eat? So that's bat's what you in the have bricks. to start doing. The, the bats and the bricks we had a pallet of bricks that were dropped off up here in North Texas off of one of our major interstates uh, so all of these things that's how you start to figure out you know the terrorist funding and in the Department of Treasury there is a uh, a undersecretary position on terrorist funding and they should be looking at this here in the United States of America
2: so'm I'm, I'm uh I'm looking at this black lives matters demands of uh, over in Louisville, Kentucky, they're basically demanding business owners uh, show a visible sign demanding reparations, your support of reparations. A certain percentage of workers have to be uh, black. A certain percentage of products have to be made by black-owned businesses that they sell. It looks like something that Tony Soprano would hand out in order to make that neighborhood uh, make that neighborhood uh, pay up. It, it looks like absolute mob mentality. How could that be something that the NBA and uh, MLS have on their shirts?
12: Because they're cowards. You know, I, I will not watch any of these NBA games when when on the floor you have Black Lives Matter. Tell me what does Marxism have to do with any of the issues that are pre- prevalent in the black community? All three of the founders of Black Lives Matter are about Marxists, trained Marxists. They have said so with their own mouths. And when you look at the issues that are facing the black community, the number one issue facing the black community in the United States of America right now, Brian, is fatherlessness. 24%. That's, that's all, 24% of young black kids have a mother and father in the home. But yet that traditional nuclear family, that is something that Black Lives Matter speaks out against. So I, I, you go to their website, and there is nothing that, about this organization that deals with what the, the problems that the black communities face. Education, uh, opportunity scholarships, school choice, school vouchers, nothing. They don't speak to these things. All they are doing is extorting money, and you have these businesses and corporations and entities like the NBA and MLS they're just succumbing to this. You cannot compromise or appease uh, the, the mob. You know, if you do, they just want and demand more.
2: Uh, I mean, that's what we're finding, too. And now they have uh, phrases to put on the back of their uniform, and we see their ratings, one uh, from an all-time high uh, when they started uh, to they've been cut in half since. And people speculate there's a lot to do with it.
12: There's a whole lot to do with it because, like I said, I'm not going to watch – NBA and, and continue to see this messaging. I mean, it's just like a billboard. And like you say, on the back of uh, on the jerseys and things of this nature, this, these are the useful idiots. There's, you know, is what Vladimir Lenin said when, when they looked at how they could get Marxism and communism to infiltrate into Western civilization. So instead of people doing their due diligence and studying and understanding what this group is about, uh, everyone just likes the tagline. And this tagline is is really all about a Marxist approach, and they work hand in hand with antifa and they're under the the guise of you know the progressive socialist left and they're embraced by the Democrat Party. Show me a Democrat politician that has stood up and say that we have to the, you know undermine and defeat what antifa is doing in the streets, none of them. I haven't seen one. Have you, Brian?
2: No, uh, I will say this. I, I have not seen any Democrat acknowledge it. And now we have Adam Schiff, chair a committee, to look into the role of federal agents actions in Portland and Seattle uh, during these riots. Excuse me. What caused these riots? Who's behind these riots? Uh, what about the organizers? Uh, what about the defilement of federal property? You're upset that people are defend the way people are defending federal property? Are you nuts? In Minneapolis, I got to bring you to this: the things have gotten so bad with crime and such low numbers on law enforcement. Now the funding is being cut. This is what the Minneapolis police are telling residents to be prepared to do should they be, I guess, mugged. Number one, do not walk alone. Number two, be prepared to give up your cell phone, purse, and wallet. And despite all efforts, robberies may still occur. Do not argue or fight with the criminal. Do as they say. Your safety is most important. Thanks. You're supposed to be watching my back. You're not even trying. And not only that, you're coaching me to be a victim. What about punch to the throat? Walk around with firearms. Get yourself a license because we've been defunded by your state and local police, uh, by, by your local council. But instead, be a sheep. And be a victim. Isn't that despicable?
12: It is despicable. And that's the difference. You know, there's a clear-cut choice going forward into the November election. Either you want to be a victor. And you want to be able to protect yourself or you want to be a victim? Here in Dallas, uh, the city of Dallas, we are something like a thousand police officers short, I believe. And now they're talking about defunding the police even in the city of Dallas, who has an incredible increase of crime. The, The district attorney here in Dallas, John Cruzeau, if you are a criminal and you commit a crime, $750 or less, you'll be released. And we're seeing the exact same thing up in New York. So... Brian, the the tagline, if if President Trump is listening to your show right now, Mr. President, all you need to do is say either you're for the rule of law or you're for the rule of the mob, because I believe that what we see happening, the McCloskeys in St. Louis and all of these things going on, this is anarchy, and we cannot stand for anarchy.
2: I hear you. In Texas, uh, what could you tell us about the virus right now? I hear the numbers are going down as a state, but in Houston, still a problem. What could you tell us, Colonel?
12: Well, it is going down and you know I talked to a lot of people and they're just saying, you know, if you could, you know, speak with the governor, tell him that we want to do everything that is right for for, you know, protecting people, especially our most vulnerable. But we need to try to get back to some sense of normality. You've got a lot of parents concerned about what's going to happen with school because that puts an added amount of pressure on folks. So let's do the right thing. Let's, let's take the precautions that are necessary. And I think that, again, down in Houston, you, you have an active young, young crowd, and uh, maybe that is a, a major cause of what is happening. But our recovery rate, once again, is very low. And I just talked to a dear friend of mine that, yeah, he came up positive for COVID. He had a, what do you call a mild flu for two days and now he feels fine. So, you know, we can't protect people from getting sick. uh, But what we can do is work as fast as we possibly can to find a vaccine to rectify this. But we have to try to turn to some sense of normality in our lives.
2: I know. Absolutely. But I just wonder how much is personal responsibility? You and I are not doctors or scientists. And how much is the virus being the virus?
12: Yeah, I think that, you know, we deal with viruses every day of our lives, Brian. I mean that's something that that is part of our lives. We have the flu virus every single season. But, you know, we also have things like heart disease, which is is I know about because I have a a heart pacemaker. We have, you know, cancer that we have to deal with. So I don't want to see us become so paralyzed. And and really and truthfully, Brian, the, the sentiment when I travel around the state a lot of people starting to believe that this thing, COVID-19, has moved from the realm of medical into the realm of political.
2: Well, we're going to find out soon. we got to get these schools open and they see what's happening in Virginia and New York. And the numbers are low enough that everybody should be open. But they're not. Mm-hmm. It takes effort. You guys learned in the military, whatever it takes. Oh, there's a river there. We need a bridge. We don't have a bridge. Find a way. And that's the attitude. And they do it for a lot less money. Just find a way. If they were not, I believe that well, these teachers were not getting paid unless they went back, they'd be a lot more resourceful.
12: i got to tell you something, Brian. You bring up the military. You know, we have all seen and we know the stories of heroism where people have been shot and they continue to fight and they continue to yeah. carry on with their mission. Uh, I think that, you know, a lot of people in America could learn a lesson from the men and women that we have in our military.
2: Absolutely. And that whole mindset when you get in there, don't tell me you can't. Just do it. And uh, and and that's just the same thing as when they tell these professional athletes, guys, you might have to stay in a hotel and be in a bubble and be away from your family. And they're like, well, I don't want to do that. Well, fine. There's a lot of people sleeping on the floor in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, for minimum wage. Their money goes back to their families because they're in combat and it's not a fraction of what you earned. And you're the same age.
12: Yeah, isn't it amazing? And that's why I got really upset when Brett Favre uh, made the comparison of Pat Tillman to uh, Colin Kaepernick. I I said, this is unconscionable. Here's a guy that quit the NFL after 9-11, enlisted in the Army as a private, went through infantry basic training, joined the Rangers, went to airborne school. sadly lost his life in a friendly fire uh, incident in Afghanistan. You're going to compare him to someone like Colin Kaepernick? You know, give me a break.
2: True. I think you might have walked that back. Colonel, thanks so much. I know you got your hands full in Texas.
12: Yes, sir. We're going to make sure we hold Texas and hold the nation, just like the book says.
2: All right. Thanks so much. Yeah, go pick up that book. 1 866 408 7669. I'm going to be going out to Jacksonville and Dayton Beach because you got Dayton, uh, uh, yes, uh, Daytona Beach uh, when we come back here on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
10: It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one on one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
1: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
13: When Joe Biden wins this election, he is going to inherit a, an, a once in a generation uh, level of challenge that he's going to have to. That he's going to have to take on, and he's putting forward bold, progressive plans that meet the moment.
0: He is all about bringing in diverse viewpoints. He is going to put forward economic plans that are going to get people back to work.
13: I want to move on. But to Bernie Sanders making that point, does that help Joe Biden? Everybody who believes that Joe Biden should be president rather than Donald Trump, we welcome them to this campaign.
2: Well, that includes the Communist Party, who endorsed Joe Biden yesterday. So he's got Bernie Sanders saying, shh, he's going to be really progressive. He just got to win first, but he can't tell anybody. Then you got the Communist Party going, I see a lot of good in Joe Biden. Or at least he's not Donald Trump, who is definitely not communist. Uh, Let's go out to WOKV, Jacksonville, Florida. Hey, Doc.
11: Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, First of all, as an African-American, Joe Biden will not pick Kamala Harris. Why? Because our culture calls her the police, and that completely goes against the the defund the police movement. And when you drive around... You're for
2: that, Doc? You're really for defunding the police? They're the problem?
11: No, 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 no. No, 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 no. But I... I'm a conservative, but I'm explaining why oh, he won't okay. pick Camilla Harris. And, and if you drive around your city, town, wherever, you will not see one vote for Joe Biden signed. So he's going to have to pick somebody because Democrats are emotionally charged. So he's going to have to pick somebody who's emotionally who, who will get the crowd charged emotionally. They don't care about facts. They care about the emotion. So who do you so think? That's why He's going to pick uh, Michelle Obama. Because she's already. Not a chance. Got the crowd and I talked to charged.
2: David Pluff. They said there's absolutely no way. Of course, she would be a great pick. She would be the front of the ticket, actually. David, listen, on 93.5 in Daytona Beach. Hey, David.
14: Yes. Uh, I want to comment that the Democratic governors and mayors are really anti black. The reason they want to defund the police. If we took a map of each city and circled the areas that were the black areas you'd see that all the crime is there and by pulling the police out we save money or they save money and
2: all right I get your point uh, I don't think we're pulling the police out Matt listen 92.3 uh, at RNC MNC uh, hey Matt
14: hi Brian how are you first Good. of all thanks for the book Uh, Thank you for the book. I got here in seven days. I know radio protocol, so I have to speak fast. Um, I think Bush needs to get more backbone. I told Todd Stearns I need a 1,000 stickers. He's got a one-way bumming text line. I don't have a computer, see? Uh, I helped run a business in New Jersey through this phone. But the rioters, the Republicans let this go on. It's just... Beyond my thinking
8: I
2: don't know what you want him to do He sent federal agents in It caused an uproar He sent federal agents into Chicago It's causing an uproar He sent federal agents to Albuquerque, New Mexico It's causing an uproar These are Democratic governors and mayors He's pushing anyway Uh, There's really not that much unrest in these Republican cities uh, Run states Except for Austin, Texas I saw they're having some eruptions i like to address the core issues Of imbalance in our society But the law and order law enforcement are not the problem
10: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. We're coming to you uh, live from uh, New York City, uh, but heard around the country, actually around the world, uh, privileged to be here in a city that's actually never been worse in my adult life than it is right now. wish it could be a better story. Wherever you go, you don't see people. Nobody seems to be working. It's erratic at best. Even in this building, you don't see staff. Everyone's working. It's just not actually here. I was talking to people at J.P. Morgan yesterday. Four or five guys, they said, way hey, I don't go in. I'm able to be pretty effective here, be better there, but right now it's not worth going in. Wow. Think about the lack of companionship, uh, collaboration that's going on in all these businesses, let alone the fact that these restaurants and gyms aren't just coming back, um, puts a lot of pressure on this rescue package that could be hashed out sometime this week, but again, It's to keep us going until they could find an answer to the COVID, uh, the coronavirus. Uh, We're going to talk about that to Ben Domenech of the Federalist shortly. And we'll do a simulcast on the Fox Business Channel with Stuart Varney. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
3: The stress on the cops right now is beyond uh, our comprehension. Um, They are getting bashed by the press and the media. They're getting bashed by their own community leaders. They're getting bashed by the mayors and the governors.
2: Breaking point, New York City, Portland, Minneapolis, just three of the major cities at, at that point. As we struggle with basic law and order under horrible elected leadership, SWAT units are now disbanded in Boston. What could be next?
5: Number two, there should never be. And there is no goal to stop college students from getting an infection they have no problem with. Ninety nine point, uh, I think, eight percent of deaths are in people over 24. There's
2: no problem
5: for college students.
2: Uh, Yeah, that is Scott Atlas, uh, the doctor, talking on the story last night about the need to go back to school, especially to colleges. The doctors weigh in the risks. There's fact, there's fiction, and there's politics.
6: Number one. Well, there's never been a push like this for mail-in ballots. And if you look at the New York congressional race, which is a disaster, it's been a total disaster. They're six weeks into it now. They have no clue what's going on.
2: Uh, No clue. 2020 mail-in ballot clash coming to a head as Nevada goes postal. This is polls begin to show a Trump campaign perhaps coming to life just a little bit as the Dems prepare for a bow out by Biden when it comes to the debates. A huge mistake by the gaff master, in my view. Ben Dominic is publisher of The Federalist. Ben, uh, welcome. Always great to talk to you. It's been an hour. Since I talked to you yeah. on TV, so I know you have basically <laughs> done with me. But I'll just keep you busy for five minutes. Uh, ben, do you think that Republicans are trumping up, pun intended, the fact that Biden doesn't want to debate, just like the Biden people are trumping up that Trump's not going to leave if he loses?
9: I think there are two things going on here. One is that I, I do believe that There are very serious voices out there in the Democratic Party advising Biden that he is far enough ahead that he doesn't need to debate and worried about the risk of what could potentially happen if he does debate. That the president could, as he did against Hillary Clinton, surprise people uh, and uh, strike a couple of knockout blows. I do think that there's something else going on there, though, and that's that I think people are just trying to lower the expectations for Biden in these debates. In, in other words, drive them down to a point where even if he doesn't perform particularly well, as long as he comes out and, and is relatively coherent, that people have this new standard of lowered expectations for him. So there's a subtle thing going on in the media right now where you know they, they don't think that Biden's actually going to back out from these. But the implication of it is, oh, this isn't that important. This doesn't matter. It doesn't have anything to do with the job of being president. When, as you know, Brian, this is a lot more about the fact that we've seen so little of Joe Biden particularly late in the evening, particularly having to, to stand and make arguments uh, uh, at length. And I think I think that that's a, something that people are aware is an, an underlying and serious issue and question about Biden. So, Ben,
2: I just don't job. understand. With such a flawed candidate, with a guy that's been d- pulled in a direction by a party that he's never been, why is the Trump team having a, such a hard time defining him and making him answer to, Accusations about how far left he is and and where he stands on issues. Why are they having such a hard time?
9: Well, part of it, I think, is that the president uh, is such a retail politician in terms of his rallies, in terms of his approach. That he's been really hampered by an inability to get momentum in the way that he did in the past. I think that he he also doesn't have a lot of opportunities to, you know, go after Biden on anything when he's being treated with kid gloves by the media. When when the questions that he's getting are things like, uh, you know, baseball is slowing down, you must have thoughts on that. You know, it's it's just not the type of, of uh, opportunity that you would normally have to question a candidate about serious questions. And I think in the absence of that, the Trump campaign has struggled to place Biden in a position uh, that, frankly, they, they should have been trying at a lot earlier and to lay out their own agenda as opposed to his.
2: Very interesting. Uh, so the president's got to get that rescue package going. And there's an excellent chance the ca- the economy won't be catching fire come Election Day. So the question is, who would be better to lead us through this? Right now, this would be a devastating poll. Only 13% of the country, according to Gallup, think we're heading in the right direction, or are satisfied with where we are as a country. 13%. Normally, that would be devastating for the sitting president. But in a way, people say it's really not his fault he didn't go into the Iraq war. He didn't ignore uh, the signs that Katrina could be devastating, like what happened to Bush, where he could never recover in the polls. To a degree, people are saying this is kind of out of his hands. And to a degree, how much do you think is in his hands?
9: Well, I think what's really in his hands is the lack of ability to form a real clear agenda argument to the American people as opposed to what. Joe Biden is offering. You can't beat something with nothing, and I think that in this instance, that's the problem that the president has been facing. He's facing an incredible challenge with a global pandemic, with uh, you know violence in American streets, the various political tensions that you don't like to see. Uh, but also, I think that's uh, his his uh, lack of an ability to, uh, at this to this stage to make clear to the American people what he's going to do to lead us out of this. Uh, and, Brian, I think he can lead us out of it. You know, the the fact is that we know how that Obama recovery went, uh, which was, you know, relatively stagnant, didn't see wages go up. The president has proven that he can do this, but he's going to have to do it all over again, and I think that that's really the case he needs to be making to the American
2: people at this point. I agree, and, for example, I don't have a problem with being a cheerleader. Uh, you know, we can't pretend that Texas, Arizona and Texas, Arizona... And Florida didn't get hit hard. But we could also bring up the fact that they're beginning to bend the curve in the right direction. We could say, look out, it's coming to the Midwest at the same time, signify other positive things about it. So I understand that. I have not heard one word out of Joe Biden's camp or the people around him that would do anything different, except they said they'd come up with a national policy. Okay. National mandate. Uh, South Dakota's probably not going to do it. National mandate. I'm pretty sure Montana's got a mind of their own. So... Uh, You want the cops who have been vilified arresting people for not wearing masks at Home Depot because the president told them to? I don't know. I can see a downside to national mandates.
9: Well, you know, besides the fact that it's almost uh, clearly unconstitutional, the Supreme Court would almost certainly weigh in on that. But I also think that, yes, you're completely right. People want to create millions more interactions with cops over mask wearing, it just doesn't make sense as, as, a, as an approach that I think would work. And again, we're a big nation. The idea that we have a national policy on something that has moved regionally in different ways, uh, in ways that, uh, you know, I think affects different groups uh, uh, in uh, people in uh, in very different ways, depending on the way they behave and the way that they live and, and how close in proximity they are together. Uh, Brian, I just think that that would have been silly and foolhardy. As silly. as just having a, a one size fits all approach to other nations where we've seen Sometimes lockdowns can help a little. Sometimes they don't seem to help at all. And I don't think that we should have had the expectation of a national policy, nor have I heard anything from Joe Biden or his camp uh, that seems to be both constitutional and significantly different than what
2: was done. And when I I hear the coronavirus, the place I think the president's got to answer for, and I'll ask him tomorrow, I think we have him on Fox and Friends. There's really no there's no reason for it to wait eight or nine days for a test result, some longer, two weeks. It makes no sense. It's been months. And I'll tell you, to be clear, the vice president's in charge of that. And the vice president allowing the reagents and swabs not to get to these states is inexcusable. And it's just like the, you know, the the former vice president was in charge of the $800 billion stimulus package when Obama took office. Do you know there was no shovel-ready projects? Do you know all that money just went to states, into their coffers to keep sanitation going and things like that? There was never any infrastructure projects came out of that. He's never been held accountable. And I think right now the vice president's got to be held accountable for this.
9: The biggest institutional failure that we've had since the beginning of this process was testing on a state level, certainly, I think Andrew Cuomo's policies, uh, you know, can be the next on the list. But the, the fact that this has been as difficult as it was is a real indictment of our healthcare system at the highest level. And I think that there should be some consequences for that. We can't move on from this expecting that this is going to be the last time that America faces something like this in an era of international travel uh, and, and the restrictions that we have uh, that can be put in place versus uh, versus ones that maybe make the most sense. But this is something where I agree with you, we have to have- answers for it uh, but but right now I would I would say we could generally look and see a lot of optimism about the way some things are going to me the most important aspect of this and it's something that all of my friends are hearing from their pediatricians is the importance health wise and development wise of getting kids back to school young kids who should be able to go back to school deserve to have uh, in-person teaching and we're gonna have to deal with that challenge you know like we've dealt with others but I do think that that's something that is a fundamental Uh, We cannot mess that up. It needs to continue. Otherwise, there could be wide ranging ramifications for this generation of students.
2: So I want you to hear what Dr. Scott Atlas told Martha last night, senior fellow at the Hoover Institute. Cut 29. You can't sit there and do a
5: test on people, creating a frenzy for tests that are not scientifically indicated when these people have no problem with the illness. And the reality is that you give a test and then five minutes later, the test isn't really valid. The test is a cross section in time. People are kidding themselves to think that a test is as valuable. And what are you going to do when you test a college student who's asymptomatic? You're going to say, oh, you must quarantine 14 days. This is becoming irrational. We have to realize what the purpose of testing is the purpose of testing is to protect the high risk group mm-hmm. from getting so the what about that? not to
2: protect the college student. So- and college students he says absolutely should be back in school and they're losing tuition because they're making that decision by the way or they're scamming people and saying we're going to give you a hybrid operation and uh, two days a week you get to walk to class which makes no sense uh, number two is for grade school kids he firmly believes that everybody should be back in school k through twelve.
9: Look, there's uh, no reason to agree with some of these radical teachers union leaders, who basically want uh, for t- their uh, teachers to get paid and not have to work at all. Some of them even opposing, you know, continued online learning as being too difficult. That, to me, is just unacceptable. On the college student thing, you know, again, Atlas is correct. You know he uh, he's correct that it, for many of these college students, they're much lower risk. We need to be prioritizing at risk. And that is something that, again, we have to deal with as the challenge of this of this moment, uh, and the, the risk intended with it. We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't downplay it. We shouldn't say that uh, it doesn't matter. But we do, I think, have to prioritize. We have to move on and right. with our lives and not and not just be scared of every uh, potential outcome. Uh, and I do believe that people are responsible. Can behave responsibly and be trusted uh, to make the right decisions now that they've learned so much more about the way that this virus
2: behaves. One reason why everybody wants you on the panel and on shows like this is like you—you'll criticize and you'll praise. So you know, uh, Donald Trump hit close to home, and he's so critical of Senator John McCain. He's your father-in-law, a great guy. Uh, even when he passed away, and I've seen your face turn red and you—you you tee off on him. At the same time, you can pull back and say he's being unfairly criticized, or you praise him if you like his policy. Having said all that, knowing the problems, that uh, the, the the unique challenges that Donald Trump presidency is, do you firmly believe that our country changes dramatically if Joe Biden becomes president, especially when Barack Obama let the gauntlet down and said, get rid of the filibuster? If the Senate's gone to the Democrats and Biden's in, Ben, what does this country look like?
9: Well, I think you saw what it looks like in that address that Barack Obama gave, which is an extreme, radical, leftist agenda that basically says uh, we need to get rid of the filibuster, we need to make Washington, D.C., and Puerto Rico states, um, and we need to do that immediately, as soon as possible. It's almost like they're running against A buzzer. And I wonder what they think that buzzer is, Brian, as if they feel like they have to cram all this stuff through. And I think that part of that is learning the lesson that they had from their brief period under Barack Obama in those first two years, where they feel like they should have crammed a lot more things through, maybe an immigration bill and the like, and instead uh, they you know, ended up with the mess that is Obamacare, which even his closest associates believe is, is a, a train wreck of a policy that hasn't really helped people. So that is what I think we're seeing, a, a, an acknowledgement that they're going to try to change the country radically in, in the space of two years maybe even adding or packing uh, the Supreme Court uh, or impeaching potentially you know, justices named under President Trump. That's something that is more extreme than anything that uh, Joe Biden said throughout his career in the Senate. And it shows how much the left has moved into a totalitarian posture uh, by younger progressives uh, who don't even want to have to put up with people on the other side anymore.
2: Ben Dominic, publisher of The Federalist. Thanks so much, Ben. Appreciate it
9: great to be with you as always
2: that's what's at stake back with your calls in a moment
1: challenging conventional thought and wisdom
10: you're with brian kilmeade fox nation presents podcasts women of the bible speak
13: i'm shannon bream host of fox news at night and author of the new book women of the bible speak the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today subscribe now on apple Podcasts, spotify foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download your podcasts
1: He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, Jim, listen on WABC uh, in Jersey. Uh, Hey, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Jim, what's on your mind?
15: Hey, Brian, love the show, buddy. Thank you. Listen, um, as far as Biden debating Donald Trump, Biden, uh, Trump will not be debating uh, Biden. He's going to be debating the moderators. The moderators will interrupt him. The moderators will... Will try to attack him. They'll protect Biden. They'll ask Biden a simple two plus two question. Then they'll go over to Trump and they'll ask him questions about. It
2: won't be that bad, especially with Chris Wallace. There'll be there'll be subtleties, but I don't think it'll be blatant. If it's too simple, the moderates, independent, excuse me, the independents, undecideds will 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 leave. It'll be. It will be counterproductive, but there'll be subtleties and nuances. Uh, I remember um, I, I remember a few times there was there's clearly a double standard where Hillary Clinton got an easier question. But for the most part, Trump had an opportunity to win last time. I think it'll happen again.
15: Right. One thing, Brian, is that he's notorious for not being afraid of uh, accepting moderate uh, uh, questions from the, the, the crazy left wing uh, media. And he's going to agree to be uh, have a debate with O'Brien Stelter or a Don Lemon or there's only one debate that Chris Wallace can do. Maybe that one will be more fair. But you, you see what they do. You see how the, the media attacks him continuously. And he he sort of like thrives in confronting them, but I really think it would be a mistake.
2: It's true. Uh, You know what? The thing is, it's so different, Jim. He knows these issues inside and out now. Before, it was a theory. Now he knows all the pitfalls and pluses to his policies, and he also knows what he replaced, and it is exactly what Joe Biden left. So I think that he's so conversant on the details. He was able to wing it last time, and a lot of these programs he wasn't even exposed to. Now he knows every nuance of this job. So I think it's going to lead to a very successful debate. And I just think he's got to start doing what Foreman always did. Wow, this guy's really good. You know, I look how fast and strong he is. And he used to talk about how old he is. And, you know, I'm not as good as I used to be. And when he knocked him out, he looked even better. I think Trump has got to start playing up Biden. He's so experienced. He's been doing this for so long. I haven't debated in three years. And then go for the knockout
1: information you want truth you demand this is the Brian Kilmeade show
5: there should never be and there is no goal to stop college students from getting an infection they have no problem with 99.9 99. Uh, I think eight percent of deaths are in people over 24. There's no problem for college students. And if there are high risk college students, of course, we need to protect them. Similarly, the, you know, the professors themselves, we need to protect high risk professors. But 90, I think 87% nationally, 90% of professors are under 65 where I work at Stanford University. It's not a high risk age group, although some people are high risk. They need to be accommodated by social distancing. They can do things if they're still afraid you know, from a distance, but you don't lock down healthy people. I mean, it's just irrational, really.
2: And that's uh, Dr. Scott Atlas uh, from the Hoover Institute. And he's been emphatic that direction, taking on old comers in the process. Uh, But I want to hear from teachers. I want to hear from parents that might be wary about putting grade schoolers into the classroom. You might be reluctant to write a tuition check if your kid's going to be sitting off campus on Zoom. Uh, I talked to somebody last night. They said, Well, my, uh, my kid's not going to go to University of Miami freshman year. And I said, Why not? They said, Well, because they got to wear, uh, they got to sit in their, they can go to one class a week. They're going to be sitting in their apartment or their, their dorm room uh, with masks on everywhere they go. And they got to be on their computer the whole time. And they thought, This is not the college experience I want. I'll wait. Is that what you guys are doing? Some people are saying, I need to take classes. But I don't need to pay that. I can go to a community college and get the same class and uh, classes and save a lot of money. Silas in Virginia. Hey, Silas. Hey, Brian. Brian, great show. I just wanted to weigh in concerning
16: the this groundswell for defunding the police. I am a teacher also, when I'm listening to all these other discussions. You know, and I'm an, I'm an African-American conservative U.S. history teacher. And one thing I've noticed over the years It's just, you know, typically where I teach in some inner city situations, there's not a lot of fathers in the homes, about 80% of the kids grow up without fathers. And it shows in how they respond to respect and order and things like that in the classroom. And it's become to the point where it's almost a foreign concept. When you give direct instruction or you give an imperative, okay, sit down. You know, raise your hand to sometimes there's a disconnect there. they're not getting this at school, and they're very uncomfortable with it. This whole thing about defunding the police is really about tearing down behavioral authority altogether because it's a foreign co- concept for them and Mary, it's it's to, and Silas, what do to, we
2: do about it so i yeah I, oh, we no, no nobody listening right now can may have an instant. Uh, can put a father in the home or make a nuclear family, uh, proliferate nuclear families across the country. So, I mean, is it, is it uh, getting involved in programs after school that involve studying in athletics or, or getting involved with some type of scouting situation with grade schoolers, some type of impact from well-meaning people on the outside to help with this generation? I want to help this generation
16: Absolutely, and we have to put some creative energy in that direction. I mean, we have to at least start talking about it because these kids are going to have kids. And you're right. Uh, anything to, to get them, and I'm doing things on my own, but anything to help get them reach, you know, get engaged in something that they, that they can flourish in and get their minds off their, their anger. They're angry kids, and they're not angry against the government. The government's not oppressing them. They're angry because their homes are messed up. And and they have trauma. I wrote a book about it. I'm an author, and I wrote a book a couple years ago called Mr. Gunderson's Home Economics and talked about a a, a real-life situation for a a student. Uh, And and in Mr. Gunderson's Home Economics, you see the the value of the dad or a father figure, which we have, you know, thanks to feminists and different ideologies, we're pushing that aside, and we're seeing the fruit of it now and and
2: and silas i have to move on but just keep in mind i'll game plan this out so there's not much discipline in the classroom they're not having much success the teachers say listen i can only do so much i got 20 29 other kids in that class so they go outside and they're involved with a bunch of kids and there's not a lot to do in organized sports or recreation so they get into trouble and guess who the bad guy is law enforcement because they're called in to referee and and p- p- bring law and order in. And if some of them are too rough or too impatient, they become the bad guy. And, you know, y- they become the parent. They become the only disciplinary force in the family. And now they're vilified. They're the problem. When it's re- We really got to dial this back a few layers to talk about the problem. So some people say, well, law enforcement only goes places where there's high crime. And there's disproportionate high crime in African-American communities. I don't look at that. I ask why. Why is there high crime in those communities? Is there a sense of hopelessness? Is it because a mom and dad aren't in the home? Well, There's a lot of bad marriages where there is a mom and dad, but they're detrimental to the raising of all types of kids, uh, no matter your ethnic background. But if we keep playing this out, if it's high crime area, why? And, is it, and if it, are they committing crimes? Why? Uh, there's not enough hope in that house. And I'm not talking about money. It's not enough discipline. It's not that set of values. Uh, Knowing right and wrong and doing right or wrong are different. So I want to get past even the numbers of criminals and the numbers of arrests and the numbers of shooting blacks, whites. I want to go back again. Because you can't tell me someone is born more likely to commit a crime than somebody else. The environment takes over. So how do you improve that environment? Rich listen, on WABC in Mount Pleasant, New Jersey.
14: Hey, I agree. There was Commentary on that, Danielle
12: Sattel,
2: S I T T E L. Yeah, I missed that. Uh, Madonna, K F T K, in beautiful St. Louis, Missouri.
13: Good morning, Brian. Thank you so much for taking my call. You got it. A while ago, you were talking about uh, the uh, mail-in ballot. Yep. Here yep. in St. Louis County, we have very. It's our primary day. We got really important election today. We're trying to get rid of Gardner in the city of St. Louis. She's the one that took the guns away from the McCluskey family. Yep, we got yep. the county council election. Anyway, this is the way St. Louis County Board of Elections is hailing in. Not the absentee ballot, but those mail-in ballots. You have to pick up that ballot at the Board of Election headquarters. It cannot be mailed it to you or dropped off in your mailbox at your home by this other, who would you say, this governor or mayor or something in another state. It needs to be notarized. And then the signature has to be verified by Board of Election officials. We're doing it the right way. And this is the way I think of this. My husband fought in the first in Vietnam War. If my husband can go to war for your freedom and the World War One officers and military men and women, get your ass out there and vote in person.
2: Uh, no, I, no, I hear you. Madonna, but what would you say to this? I, You know, if you're 25 year old and healthy and you just don't want to vote and and you say uh, I get it. But what about the person that does have a heart ailment or is having trouble getting around and is was told, you know, it is dangerous for you to go out into a public situation? If you're in your 80s, I know my aunt and uncle did, do not go out as much as they used to. They try to keep a certain distance. And if they had an option with a mail-in ballot, they might take it for the first time in their lives. So that's not what you're talking about. But if you tell them they got to go pick it up, then they got to go fill it out and then get it notarized. That's that's hard. That's worse than voting. That's three different people, three different locations, three different interactions until they get a hold of this virus. So, there are people out there that have legitimate concerns for the first time ever they should be mail in voting and Republicans got to make it clear starting with the president, if you're one of those people in vulnerable uh, categories because of an underlying condition or your age, those ballots work. Vote. Don't think they're gonna. No one's. Anyone's gonna throw them in the garbage. That's what mail-in's for. But other things, the government's got to go out of the way. Trump administration's got to say that it's either going to be a two-day voting process, or we're going to double the number of polling places all across the country. Here's the money, and here's how it's going to happen. We're going to have clean teams in different cities and counties, and here's the money, and here's how it's going to happen. I don't want mail-in voting. This way, you have a solution rather than just a complaint. Ashley, W-O-K-V in Jacksonville. Ashley.
13: I have a solution for defunding the police, but you got to hear me out. <laughs> so if you defund the police, fine. Police departments answer to the mayor and they have appointed chiefs, which allows a ton of room cor- for corruption. So why don't we defund it and send the funds back to the counties to create sheriff's office that are led by elected officials who is the sheriff? Then all the existing police officers could go work for the sheriff's office.
2: I, don't, I, don't, I actually don't think police are the problem. If you want to refine their techniques and tactics uh, for different uh, – for this generation of Americans, I'm fine with that. But cutting back police, telling them to do uh, less or to do more with less or take away equipment and or, or restrain what they've been taught to do and having a politician tell them how to do it, that's the problem. And if Joe Biden says, well, I don't want to defund the police – Well, the people that are voting for you want you to. So why don't you tell them and then see how they vote, what you want to do? Or are you lying to us when you say you don't? When we come back, I'm going to do a simulcast with Stuart Varney on Varney and Company on the Fox Business Network. Then take more calls. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Uh, This is a great Tuesday edition of the show. You just don't want to miss.
1: You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network.
9: I'm Ben Dominich, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and
10: listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney & Company with Stuart Varney. Live on your radio and on Fox Business, here's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, I'll be, I'll be with you in, uh, shortly, 1-866-408-7669, but uh, Stuart Varney has the best show, the most popular show on Fox Business Network. Hope Lou Dobbs is not listening when I said best show. Uh, but it is great. And we always try to diversify the topics, and in a matter of moments, we're gonna share audiences. And if you have Fox Nation, you've been watching the whole time. If you have Fox Business, you're about to finally see what I look like without my suit jacket on, which I think uh, Eric and Allison both equally look forward to on a regular basis. Um, but and we'll talk about that. And I'm talking China, which I have not uh, dove a lot into today. But man, uh, what a major election issue this is, what a national security issue it is, because you cannot tell me the Biden administration would be nearly as tough because we have this thing called the Obama administration to learn from. And in eight years, they were so humiliated in their last visit, he had to leave from the cargo entrance. So let's listen.
17: Brian Kilmeade knows a thing or two about this. And he joins us now. Uh, Brian Kilmeade on the radio, joining us on TV. Brian, I don't think this looks good for the baseball season. What say you? I'm not worried about it, and here's why. You know what I think does look good?
2: The Marlins are going to come back and play. Why is that a big, big deal? Because we always hear this thing called positive tests. He had the virus, and maybe we come back to work, but they're not pro- high-profile people. I mean, I haven't really seen Tom Hanks since he was, and maybe appeared on a special. But now you're going to watch 13 players come back and play baseball. A week and a half after they were positive tests. You're going to watch the Eagles coach come back. He's asymptomatic and play. And people are going to begin to realize we can get this, beat this, and have two negative tests and go back to our lives. And maybe stop being paralyzed in fear in the corner while still respecting the virus. What they got to do, and I don't blame the commissioner for saying this, Stuart. Guys, players. If you don't show more discipline, and Derek Jeter said the same thing about his own team. He owns the Marlins. If you don't show some more discipline and respect to the virus, we can forget this whole thing. But I believe we've seen enough to know it, it, we can get a season in.
17: I, I don't know whether you've been watching the ba- baseball on TV, but bit. to me, it's not, not, not the same. No. Uh, no fans, no crowd reaction, none of that spontaneity that you get. It's not quite the same. And I'm wondering if we are watching baseball with no fans in the same numbers that we watch baseball with fans.
2: No, it's uh, it's off. The ratings are off after an immediate surge when they first started playing. The ratings have been cut in half. You know, nobody does it better than Fox. They've actually put some production value into it and gave a, a little bit of a murmur underneath. And they're trying to work a way in which people at home can cheer and boo. But I don't think that's really ready for primetime yet. But if you've seen what we had before, and I'm Stuart, I know you're not the biggest baseball fan, But I was watching ESPN, I was watching Korean baseball by two guys sitting in Connecticut calling uh, Korean and Japanese baseball, not even Japanese, but Korean baseball. That's how desperate I was to watch baseball. I didn't even know one person, uh, but I was still watching. They had empty stands. So the question is, what's better? Empty stands, the owner's losing a lot of money, by the way, and the player's getting prorated money just for 60 games or none at all. I like seeing the guys out there playing. But I do notice that it's surprising me the ratings are not great for for baseball or basketball.
17: I think the pandemic and the lockdown has really changed a lot of things, including our relationship to sport. Now, you may say that there's a big interest in watching stuff on TV um, and the ratings are down a little bit. But I think it's going to be years and years before we get back to jam-packed stadiums, 80,000, 90,000 people shoulder to shoulder. We had Scott Shellady on the program earlier saying, look, four or five years ago, he was in a crowd of 105,000 people watching college football. It's going to be years before you ever get back to that. I agree with that. What say you?
2: I don't. Uh, and, and here's why. I believe there's going to be something to this. Remember the people, and there's a lot of watching here, cry when your team loses a big game and cheer, and really it changes their outlook on life when their team wins. Living and dying depends on how many games the Mets win in a row or how many games the University of Alabama win in a row, including championships. I think we have a different perspective on sports, at least for the foreseeable future, where, okay, Orlando Cespedes decided, the Mets' best player, I'm going to quit baseball for a while and left. Normally, sports radio would have inked into my broadcast here. I would have made it a national story where the highest-paid player, who should be happy being that he's in America and left communist Cuba to get here, He's leaving all that money on the table and just walking out without telling anyone. Not a peep. People just write about it. That's it, because we're putting sports more in perspective. But I think if you could go to Alabama-Auburn tomorrow, everybody listening that would go to that game before would go to that game now.
17: Okay, I hear you, Brian. You know more about this than I do. I'm just intrigued at the changes in our own lives, all of us, Because of the pandemic and because of the lockdown. I think the changes are profound, and I'm not quite sure how I'm changing in line with the rest of the country. I'm just not sure. Final Last thought? Last to you?
2: Yeah, but my final thought is this. It leveled the playing field. There was a time, Stuart, where you went to watch the Dodgers play the Yankees, and you might ride to the game in the subway with the Dodgers. They were making about as much money as you and had to have a job in the offseason along with the Yankees. But then at one point, sports got so lucrative in the 80s that there was $10 million man a $20 million. Now you got a $105 million man. So they're above. We watched Hollywood, where we kind of related to the stars never really saw them. But gotta now go. we've equaled the playing field. We kind of look at them on our level now.
17: Got to go, because we're going to get cut off any minute. Brian, thanks as always. Go Good get stuff. him, Stuart. Yeah.
2: Dan in Houston. Hey, Dan. It's Stan. It's Dan, Brian. Okay, what's on your mind? Hey, listen,
4: very important. I'm a retired war veteran, retired Marine, Vietnam. I need to just share with you that I have uh, two daughter-in-laws. Both were in the public school systems at one time. Now they're in Christian school teaching. And uh, I I just have a warning to tell everybody, okay? Our, we have one of the largest public school districts here in Houston. Houston public uh, school was uh, known to get a lot of money each and every budgeting period. And the grade levels dropped. The reading levels dropped. It has never improved with more money. And people need to know that about one of the largest school districts in the country. And that's what we are here. But I want to change gears for just a moment. If you give me, a war as a war veteran, you give me just a few more minutes here. It's important.
2: We don't have much. We're up against the Uh, clock. Real quick, what's your point?
4: My point is, I was there when we kicked when Trump kicked the, the, the Chinese communists out of Houston because they were stealing secrets. I was present out there when that happened. And I met a lot of, I wore my Vietnam veteran hat, and there was a lot of Orientals and a lot of wonderful patriotic
14: I know, and that was there. a thing,
2: and they burned everything before they left, too. There's wonder where they were burning. Is San Francisco the next consulate to be taken down? Maybe New York. I'd love that.
1: Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so
2: much for listening everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Today we're going to see on Capitol Hill if Antifa has backing because I think Senator Ted Cruz wants to get to the bottom of it. But don't you? Shouldn't Democrats want to find out if we're talking about racial injustice or we're talking about a fascist organization wants to undermine the country and who would be financing this? Well, we'll discuss that and we find out too. Adam Schiff doesn't care what happened in Portland. He wants to find out if our federal agents uh, use too rough, tacti- uh, too rough a tactics when it comes to reining in the protesters trying to take a uh, federal building. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
7: Number three.
3: The stress on the cops right now is beyond uh, our comprehension. Um, they are getting bashed by the press and the media. They're getting bashed by their own community leaders. They're getting bashed by the mayors and the governors.
2: It's unbelievable. And I tell you, I can't dispute anything Bernie Carrick says. We're at a breaking point with New York City, Portland, Minneapolis. Just three of our major cities has their breaking point. And we struggle. They struggle with the basic law and order under horrible elected leadership as another major city gets rid of an elite team, the SWAT unit in Boston. Another version of defunding the police, I would say. How does any of this make sense? Number two.
5: There should never be. And there is no goal to stop college students from getting an infection they have no problem with. Ninety nine point. I think eight percent of deaths are in people over 24.
2: There's no problem for college students. Uh, Right. And that is Dr. Scott Atlas saying go back to school, especially college kids. The covid challenge. Doctors weigh in on the risks. Facts. First eviction. First politics. Number one.
6: Well, there's never been a push like this for mail-in ballots. And if you look at the New York congressional race, which is a disaster, it's been a total disaster. They're
2: six weeks into it now. They have no clue what's going on. Uh, That is uh, Donald Trump uh, doubling, tripling and quadrupling down on his uh, opposition to mail-in ballots. Now we find out Nevada's gone postal. This is polls begin to show a Trump campaign coming to life, perhaps, and the Dems preparing for... Uh, a bow out for Biden when it comes to the fall debate, I think would be a huge mistake for Joe Biden. But let's find out what Mike Allen feels. Uh, he is co-founder of Axios, the wildly successful uh, daily news magazine, uh, which is also very successful on HBO. Mike, welcome back.
8: Uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for your coverage.
2: Hey, Mike, first off, when you left Politico, did you I know you hoped, but did you expect Axios, Axios to be this successful?
8: Well, we're very fortunate. We have the best uh, team in the business, uh, including Jonathan Swan, who you saw uh, out there today with that great Axios on HBO interview, like the amazing documentarians documentarians of Axios on HBO, Perry Peltz and Matt O'Neill, who made it possible. So uh, we feel grateful to be covering these consequential times.
2: During the Trump era, that certainly helped, hasn't it?
8: Well, the Axios, as you know, is devoted to, like, making people smarter, faster about the next five to ten years. And, like, all our topics are coming together, like pandemic, economy, politics, media. Those are all the places that we try to connect for people. And, like, all of them, the world is changing, Uh, Brian, would you say, a decade is a year, a year is a month, a month is a week. Uh, we've had a decade of change since May 1st, I would say.
2: Yeah, and I like it, too. Yeah, I mean, doing Fox & Friends, I get your hit right before the show starts, able to see and round out a lot of these stories and get new stories. So uh, it's helps me immensely. So, Mike, I want to go to Don, Jonathan Swan. I'm a huge fan. He helps us out a lot on our show great guy as you know and one of the areas uh, he had he went over in his 45 minute interview with the president was on mail-in voting here's a little of that exchange trump not a believer cut 38
6: you got millions of ballots going nobody even knows where they're going you look at some of the corruption having to do with universal mail-in voting absentee voting is okay you have to apply you have to go through a process you have to apply absentee for mail-in Absentee voting same is thing. good. look Look, okay, let's do concrete. Out, let's do Jonathan. concrete. They're sending out applications, download millions into. of ballots. No, they're not. There it's is applications. You there is the no way you can go through a mail in vote without massive cheating.
2: So who was right there? I know I got ballots mailed to my house for the first time in my life uh, for my local school election three weeks ago. So I do got, believe they're flood. some of these states are just flooding you with applications without asking. I mean, with ballots without asking.
8: Yeah, uh, what people are getting in the pictures that you see on TV are applications. What's fascinating about this exchange, something that the president went on to say, is he said that the election could take as much as two months to know the result. Uh, he pointed out, like as people have been saying, election night, could become election week. The president said it could go even longer. He said the president could be decided two months later. And Brian, the power of that exchange that we just saw cut 38. I love the uh, the way that you stack them up. Like the power of it was that you have Swan, who's, as you know from your conversations with him, informed, respectful, yep. just with the facts, pointing out that we've had uh, absentee balloting. Go, going back to the Civil War, the president has used absentee uh, balloting. And so just staying after the facts. But as we saw in your clip, the president having his say.
2: Yeah, you know, the thing is, I do believe it could take two months if it's close. Let's say Wisconsin, Michigan are as close as last time, Minnesota. So it's a few thousand votes separating them. Let's do it again. You know, it's could you decide the election. Let's—I can't believe Hillary Clinton lost Wisconsin. I need a recount. There were hand ballots, uh, first time ever. Uh, we can't believe Minneapolis, uh, Wisconsin went that way. Let's do it again. Michigan—that's uh, so close. Let's do it again. Uh, we could see North Carolina, Arizona being so close. Let's do it again. Florida—we remember last time. Let's do it again. So I could see this instead of being one state, I could see this being seven or eight states. I mean, can you? No.
8: You make a great point, and by the way, you gave a great uh, example. Uh, Very few people uh, know that Minnesota was 1% Uh, last time. uh, Secretary Clinton uh, got 46%, and Donald Trump got 45%. uh, So they were hoping to maybe flip that. This time, that now doesn't uh, Doesn't seem like it's in the cards. But um, what you're pointing to is the problem, that results... From the decline in trust in yep. institutions. And something that I mentioned in Axios AM this morning. There's a very frightening, the scary poll out this morning from Gallup and the NEG Foundation, both very respectable, pulled twenty thousand people over months, one percent margin of error. So a very good poll. Three quarters of people think that intentional bias is a massive problem in news coverage. Yep. And so when you have that few people uh, that many people doubting or disbelieving what they say. And no doubt uh, the media in many cases has given them reason to do that. But it's a, the collapse in the trust of just about every institution except the military. Right. For sure. Government, for sure. Media, for sure. The church.
2: Interesting. Uh, a couple of things I, I want you to just to show how uh, I do watch all the Sunday shows. I'm sure you want to take one day off, but I try to watch them every week. And this Sunday with Nate Silver I'm they so do the, yeah, they do the pre produced segment on you know on mail and voting. What the reality is, I want you to hear what he put together and let's talk about the risk. Let's listen.
5: Consider what happened in the Arizona Senate race in twenty eighteen. At midnight on election night, Republican Martha McSally led by about a percentage point. But Democrat Kirsten Cinema eventually won by two and a half points once late arriving mail ballots were counted. That's a pretty big swing. The second issue could be problems at voting locations, like the long lines we saw in states like Georgia and Kentucky during their primaries, which could reflect some combination of social distancing, plus fewer poll workers, plus voters not receiving their absentee ballots in time. All of that could lead to poll hours being extended and the possibility of litigation over absentee ballots. Look, nobody wants a replay of Bush versus Gore, but when you have an election in the middle of a global pandemic with a second wave in fact possible in the fall, anything can happen.
2: So can you imagine where Joe Biden or Donald Trump wins on Election Day and then once they continue to count the ballots, it flips again? I mean, in a, in a climate like this, can you this country would break in half almost?
8: No, uh, I think that uh, you make a great point, And we saw a great, uh, a perfect illustration of that New York Times headline today, why the botched NYC primary has become the November nightmare. So this is six weeks later after a, a congressional primary in New York. Uh, allegations of mishandling of tens of thousands of mail-in ballots. And then just a headline in the last uh, couple of hours, they're going to be uh, counted again, a U.S. judge well, this is the Representative Carolyn Maloney race, uh, and so, so we're we're already seven weeks out. So uh, uh, you're going to be pushing toward inauguration day at that rate.
2: Yeah, it's scary. Uh, so. A lot going on. I think we're going to have uh, President Trump tomorrow on Fox and Friends, by the way. But Jonathan, uh, Jonathan really covered a lot of areas. So I was, I got through 35 minutes of his interview compelling. Shows he listens, number one. And the other word you use is respectful. I have so many. I watched some of these interviews, and the respect factor has gone out the window. I think, think is, you can have a follow-up question and still be respectful with the president. I think we've kind of lost that a little bit. So, Jonathan, the other, uh, excuse me, uh, Mike, the other thing that comes to mind is where our economy is right now and the deal that's not being hatched between Republicans and Democrats in um, uh, in Washington today. What are your sources telling you this is going? And how unusual is it to have Mitch McConnell not involved?
8: Yeah, well, uh, you put, as always, you put your finger on uh, two huge points. One is... And a headline that I put in Axios AM to call attention to this, something the parties agree on. Unfortunately, what the parties agree on is that they are nowhere with this agreement and the extension of the $600 in the federal supplement to unemployment uh, benefits that ran out Friday. And so you have the, the, the White House uh, engaging with Speaker Pelosi, Senate Democratic leader uh, Chuck Schumer, who's your senator. And, the, uh, as you know, the title of Leader McConnell's book, The Long Game. He's always played the long game. And so uh, I'm sure that he is going to jump in when the moment is right. But at the moment, uh, you have the sign that there's no immediate help on the way for people who desperately need it. And I would be remiss if I don't ask you for a sneak peek of what you're dying to ask the president tomorrow.
2: Uh, good question. Uh, I think that this is what I want to press him on. It's not OK just to say I don't want mail-in voting. You have to acknowledge that it's going to be a greater challenge. So the administration has to come up with their plan and their plan has to be more ballot places. It has to be clean teams. Uh, We've got to get these lines smaller anyway. So what is the administration's plan to finance and provide additional ballot uh, uh, ballot options uh, to place that ballot in the uh, in the machine and drop it in. To get the lines down with social distancing, is it November 2nd and November 3rd a date? Are we going to expand by mandate four different places where there used to be one? Uh, Use some of those empty schools to get them working again? So I would like to see his plan to acknowledge the virus, at the same time acknowledge what I think fundamentally is a problem with the mail-in ballot. And I'll give you an example. My personal anecdote, Mike, that I used before, is -hmm. that for the first time ever I got ballots mailed to my house. So I got an 18-year-old, a 23-year-old, and my wife are over that. So we have four ballots at the House. And my son goes to me, I don't really know any of these names. Do you want to vote for me? And I go, not in a million years. But I thought, wait a second.
8: Oh, good for you. Good for you. Not,
2: not, but then he took and emailed it. But number one is, how many other families are going to say no? And or how many right. domineering fathers in a family go, guys, give me your ballots. You're voting for Trump. You're voting for Biden. In our family, we always vote Republican or we always vote Democrat. It takes away the sanctity of secrecy and it brings the identity into it. And then I'm wondering, uh, a friend of mine that works here said he lost his envelope. Responsible guy. Lost his envelope. So he said that the only way we'll accept this is a provisional ballot. And you know that's only in case of a deadlock they go provisional. So how many of these right. ballots are going to be wasted?
8: Yeah, your question is very astute because of what it gets to is, like the president, you can see some of the reasons why, but the president basically running as a challenger, right, uh, even though uh, he's the most powerful person in the world. But the the, the uh, completely legitimate question is, what is your plan? What are you going to do? What are the federal resources? We see this coming and you are actually in charge. So don't be a bystander. What are you going to do to fix it? Yeah. Your question
2: for sure is going to make news. All right, Mike. Any ideas, you send them to me and I'll give you full, I'll, I'll put you in my bibliography on radio.
8: <laughs> and I have one tip to go. go. The, today's thought for the day. Don't lose your envelope.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Mike. I hope that makes the newsletter tomorrow. Uh, Mike oh, Allen, co founder of Axios. Thanks for the Great job. Uh, at Mike Allen is where to follow him. Brian Kilmeade, Show, back with you.
1: Educating, entertaining,
10: enlightening.
1: You're with Brian Kilmead.
10: With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Welcome back, everybody. 1-866-408-7669. Appreciate everybody uh, listening, hanging in there. Went a little alone with Mike Allen, but he does have the latest cutting uh, cutting edge information. Uh, Mike, listening in Pennsylvania. Hey, Mike. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good. You said you, you're talking sports, because I was talking that with Stuart Varney, 20 minutes, uh, a little the last hour, I should say, and you're not you're not into sports like you were?
18: Well, uh, like I told you, the call off screen, I, I'm 72 years old. I've been watching the Yankees in baseball since I'm about six, seven years old. Went to my first Yankee game when I was nine. Yankees beat the Red Sox 14 to nine. Ted Williams, Mickey Mantle. I love baseball. I couldn't wait for the season to start this year. Finally, it was going to start. I put on the ga- pregame, and everybody was in their Black Lives Matter shirts. I shut it off. I have I played baseball my whole life. I I played high school baseball. I played college baseball, softball, fast pitch softball. I love the game. I shut it off. I'm not gonna watch it this season. I have three brothers who bigger fanatics than me. They saw that, they shut it off, and I think that's why the ratings are half half what they should be. It's not because there's no people in the stands.
2: You feel as though it's more than the game. And that's what Charles Barkley was saying. I'll play that next half hour. Remember, uh, Eric, we had that last week. Barkley came out and said, guys, watch it. I understand the cause, but people come watch sports to get a break. So that's what he was saying. That's what we discussed earlier. But when you look at race in America, is that something you think we need to address?
18: No, I I think we're all free. People got to realize we're all free. There's not nobody standing in anybody's way. If, if, uh, you know, I, I, my, my wife is black and her, I, her whole family. Um, like my niece just she came over here from Kenya. She went to school. She's got a great job now. She makes over a hundred grand a year. Nobody stood in her way. You just, you know, pe- people got to realize we're all free. Just do your thing work hard, and you can make it.
2: Got it. I like it, Mike. Thanks so much. Appreciate the message and the personal story. It really helps me uh, move the dialogue further. one we are not only talking about mail-in ballots, we're talking about getting back to school. We're also talking about uh, Donald Trump on a bit of a roll. I'm going to tell you about one poll that has approval over 50% in this country. Why is it so dramatically different than the others? I think it's the beginning of a series of positive marks.
10: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
1: A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
11: You just can't beat people over the head because people watch sports to get away from reality. And right now, their reality is different. We have never seen anything like this in our lifetime, this pandemic. I mean, we've lost hundreds of thousands of people. All these small businesses are gone. All the hospitality, these restaurants, trying to sustain with one-third people. I mean, it's a lot of stuff going on. Like I say, I'm never going to say just go back to basketball. Cause, but I think these guys got to be really careful.
2: Charles Parker is 100% right. This guy's outspoken. We'll go up to people and say, I'm, you know, I'm more than an athlete. I don't want to be a role model. I'm going to speak out what I want to speak out. And at the same time, he's looking around saying, I appreciate the boldness and there is a problem, but watch it. And it's not get in line. It's not diminishing. It's what are you here for? For example, when I went to Hamilton, when you go to Hamilton and Hamilton breaks character and starts lecturing the vice president, you say, what's going on? I spent a lot of money for a Broadway ticket and I'm hearing a lecture to a vice president I may or may not have voted for. When I go to watch a game and you're kneeling, you're doing this, I understand right off the George Floyd thing. But if it's going to be every day putting down the country when most of this country bleeds red, white and blue and you tell us, well, it's not against the country. It is against uh, racist past in the country and making society better. I just say this understood Stand during the national anthem. Fundamentally, the rest of the world can put us down and they do. But we can't do it from the inside. I mean, with that hockey player did, I know nothing about him. He goes and speaks and talks about racial injustice. He's Canadian. I imagine he went to Can- played hockey in Canada. He talked about racism he faced playing hockey. All right. Now he's playing professional hockey in Canada. Both games or both, uh, both these bubbles are in Canada. I think Vancouver and Edmonton. And he stands for the Canadian national anthem and kneels during our national anthem. Wait, you're Canadian? If you faced racism growing up, it was probably in Canada. I'm pretty sure. That's what drives people a little nutty. You know, this isn't the family of George Floyd. These are oh, oh, you get what I mean, Hudson. Listen on WABC in Mount Vernon, New York. Hey, Hudson, you guys going back to school?
19: Oh yeah. How you doing, bro? Yeah, I I work in a school and I, I know you were talking about before, you know, yep. with the with the kids and stuff and how we can fix this problem um and I do know the solution. Um and the solution is is that, you know, I'm in my mid 40s and when I was growing up, uh we had all these, you know, boys clubs and girls clubs and all these places where we had places to go on the weekend and we had places to go during the week. Um, you know, when we had baseball season, we did parades down the street and and all the local businesses is that they, gone Hudson need, What's that I'm that's sorry, not gone saying? is it It's what
2: what you're describing is not gone. That's still happening.
19: It's not no, it's not it's not it's not in the inner city no, it's not those things are gone they they don't exist anymore. I talk to the kids all the time. um I'm with the kids all day, and they have absolutely nothing to do. All the clubs are gone all um, like the baseball things and the basketball things and all the people that used to like donate their time and, and things like that. Like, you know, even parents or even people that, that were teachers and stuff and used to donate their Those, those, those days are done. And that's what it is. It's almost like a little bit of selfishness where um people kind of, you know, they, they saw the inner city and they took this stuff and they made a little money and they kind of moved up and they kind of got out and, and, Everyone who's around, no one donates their time anymore, man. And it's sad. And I talk to these kids all day. I'm the only one that they talk to. I talk to them all day. They have nothing to do. There's nothing to do. But that is the solution, Brian. And uh,
2: I know. I don't know if you heard earlier in the hour. I want to do two things. Uh, I don't want to look at the incident and say we got to fix law enforcement. I want to go back. I go, where's where's most crime happening? The stats say in African-American communities, but I don't think it's their fault. Then I want to go into those communities and say, why is it happening? And then if you go into why is it happening, people say, well, family. Well, that's frustrating because you can't fix a family from today. But what you could do is provide other opportunities within those communities for kids to have, have, uh, have some impact with adults. Whether it's playing on a club sport, whether you're a great athlete or not, whether it's scouting, uh, whether, you, uh, whether your goal is to be a Navy SEAL or not. You know, something to be involved with while your family may dysfunctional or atypical, you could get your mentorship somewhere else in the city. So whether it's that boys club down the the street or the girls club down the street or the YMCA where you have people making an impact there. And I imagine there might be some people available to help. Let's see if there's a disconnect because you just can't wait for a generation to grow up without good parents or attentive parents and expect them to be great people. Nothing's going to change. I think law enforcement's the fall guy because, in many cases, they're the only one providing any discipline. And usually it's too late by then. William was on WMNC, in beautiful South Bend, Indiana. William.
14: Good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, a um, couple of things. First of all, when you were here in November um, for the Make Some Noise, about three miles north of where you were at, the Michigan state line. And there's a, a personal friend that I know that lives in a little community up there called Edwardsburg. He just received five ballots to him alone, mail-in ballots for voting,
2: unbelievable,
14: which is uh, alarming. Number two, Um, when we're looking at the the Black Black Lives Matter and and everybody in the professional sports, every sport, they're all taking these, wait till it comes around that there's nobody that's going to be participating as from a fan base. What's going to happen when everybody starts losing all their money? And then is everything going to still be the same? Are Black Lives still going to matter for everybody?
8: Very interesting.
2: And I'll play that out exactly how it reads, the way I understand it. In football, a percentage of profits goes, I think, over 50% go to the players. And then the cap is reflective on that. So if the revenue is pouring in, the salary cap goes up, allowing more money to more players. Got it? So if the revenue goes down, Mm -hmm. then guess what? The cap goes down, which means either one player is going to get a zillion dollars, everyone's going to get the minimum, or everybody's going to get less that right. will be reflective all- in the revenue because they're in business together owners and players and i think it's the same way in baseball and basketball basketball certainly so you can't tell me the revenue is going to be the same after a year in which you have no fans in baseball 60 games no baseball no i mean 60 games no fans in football they plan on putting like right now 15,000 i think in the stadium how that's not 77 so the revenue is going to come from TV. Got it. Streaming. Understood it. Licensing. We're, th- that's written in there. But you're not going to replace that ticket sales. So you theoretically they will pay, get an immediate pay cut.
14: Yeah, it'll take it'll take a toll on them quickly. And thirdly, as I said, I have two sons that are in college right now. One is a upcoming sophomore for Butler. The other is a upcoming senior for De- at DePaul in in Greencastle. My son that's uh, uh, the sophomore, um, we're taking him back to college on August 17th. Um, he's going into the frat. They're doing all kinds of different things to make sure that everybody will be safe. It's going to be mandatory yeah. for them to wear masks. But he needs to get back on campus. He needs to get with these guys. He needs that camaraderie. Yep. The senior, the senior, they've decided at DePaul that – that for the first semester it's going to be the freshmen and sophomores and get them acclimated to the campus I understand that somewhat and then the second semester at DePaul will be the the seniors and the juniors and the seniors for them to be able to graduate and so forth I would hope God. By then, something is being done, and we've got some direction that we're able to get some type of immunization or some type of shot or what have you. Um, I don't know that it's. I think it's going to be somewhat similar to another flu vaccine uh, when it all comes down.
2: So I hope so. Uh, you know, therapeutics as well as a vaccine, and you know what's going to motivate people not only for the good of the world but money. Our biotech industry—they know if Oxford scores it or Moderna. Uh, Moderna uh, Moderna, excuse me. Moderna uh, is the one who comes up with the vaccine. You know how much money people are gonna make? You invest in biotech, it's the ultimate score. You save people's lives, you make people's lives better, and you become a millionaire. It's a, just an unbelievable industry, and we're the best at it because it's capitalism and altru- and people being altruistic. Uh, so instead of just making money off the market, you're actually making money and saving lives from heart to cancer um, to, uh, to pain management. So here, you come up with that vaccine, there's a race. And there's a reason why there's 20 contenders and three have moved out alone. So if that can happen, things will gradually get back to normal. Uh, Vaccine, therapeutic, look out. You know, I didn't think about it. There's no vaccine for AIDS, but there's therapeutics, which is why you live with it. So that's why the president says, I'm more into the therapeutics right now, even though vaccines present uh, more hope. Uh, Thanks so much, William, and thanks for for being there for our visit and big event at WMNC. Uh, Susan, listening on WABC in Connecticut. Susan.
0: Brian. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm calling about the $600 bonus that the Dems are pushing. Um, Per your observation yesterday, indulging bad behavior begets more bad behavior. Um, We we conservatives are really fed up with these feckless, spineless Republicans who keep giving in to Nancy Pelosi. And would you please pass along that if they do it again, we will be holding our purses, clutching them tightly. Um, We've had it.
2: Well, what you're referring to is the fact people get unemployment, no doubt, uh, and through no fault of their own, probably 95%, uh, you actually 95% of the people are unemployed through no fault of their own. We we're at 4% unemployment, maybe three. So having said that, they get the unemployment, which is 70% of their income, and Lindsey Graham and a handful of others said, don't do this, here's 600 supplemental. So they got, in many cases, more than they were making. And now Ned's supposed to go, so let's continue that right through the fall. Who are you going to vote for? A person that gives you an extra $600 a week or a person that says that's too much. We can't afford it.
0: Well, exactly. That's why they should have stood up in the first instance. And now they've got this to deal with. So we're disgusted. We're disgusted.
2: Well, we'll see. We'll we'll see what happens. Uh, And also these states want a big bailout, too. They want a big check.
0: Can I say one more thing, Brian? Yep. Um. This issue of this murder and mayhem in the big Democratic cities, I I can't believe that 80% of Americans aren't terrified by this. I think this is a winning issue for the Republicans. I don't know why it's not being thrown around, discussed, pointed out. Um, And, you know, I think the president missed a big opportunity to take Barack Obama up on the way he hijacked John Lewis's memorial service and analogize it to the way that Black Lives Matter and Antifa are hijacking what was a perfectly legitimate issue, point of discussion, concern that maybe police behavior needs some oversight. So tell them, the president and, and these Republicans, to get out there and start saying this stuff.
2: Yeah, they didn't say much because of the they sensitivity around Congressman John Lewis and his civil rights career. But I was, I was one of the first ones saying it. I was outraged. I said, what's going on here? Has anyone even brought up Congressman Lewis? He brought him up at the beginning, talked about what kind of man he is. And then for 17, 25 minutes, his veins were popping out of his head, talking about the filibuster, gerrymandering and doing everything but naming Donald Trump as the villain of a lifetime. So I'm going right. to ask President Trump that tomorrow. Do you yes. believe, from what you saw him. of Congressman Lewis's funeral, that Barack Obama stepped over the line at at that event?
0: Um, yeah, just like BLM and Antifa are doing with a legitimate concern of black Americans. And I think the president needs to address black Americans and say, black America, we are with you. We understand. We all saw this hideous murder. We all thought it was unconscionable. There is room for discussion about potential oversight of cops, bad behavior. And by the way, Minneapolis has had a history of this. Going back 15, 20 years, they've had civilian oversight boards. They've had reviews, government reviews. Ultimately, a couple years ago, they had a federal review of their procedures. All of these studies came back saying that Minneapolis has an inadequate system for overseeing potential police misbehavior. So it's actually Minneapolis that allowed Derek Chavin to continue on his ways. It's Minneapolis that allowed this incident to happen. It's not systemic police brutality.
2: Uh, No, I hear you. And I just do think that, like you said, we got to address things in our society that can level the playing field to give people an equal opportunity to not only succeed but to fail. America is the place where you have the right to fail and right to succeed, and we can't guarantee outcomes. Little by little, year by year, month by month, week by week, we seem to be trying to guarantee outcomes. But that's not the way our system was to be able to set up. It's not to resent the successful. It's to say, I'm going to be there someday. So now we're trying to say, well, the reason why that person's got a Rolls Royce and a plane and a nice house is because they must have cheated or because of the color of their skin. And that's it's about time things changed. Well, did they work 75 hours a week for generations? What do their parents do? I mean, I'll give you an example of the person... Uh, there's so many examples of people who are self-made success stories who literally started at the lowest rung in the ladder, and they now all of a sudden people look at them and are resentful, and there are people are afraid to show their success. That's how bad things have gotten in this country. When we come back, I'll tell you about more stories breaking around the world and take more of your calls. Some excellent calls today, uh, Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi,
2: everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Uh, We appreciate it. It's been a great hour. I'm going to take a call, and then we'll do more to know. Barbara, listening on the app in Baltimore, Maryland. Barbara.
7: Thank you for taking my call, Brian. I haven't talked to you in so long. I would like to uh, talk to you about the sports and uh, what's happening along those lines, but I'd like to address your previous caller As you know, I am a black conservative, I'm a black woman, and um, I just want uh, people to understand uh, one thing uh, about what uh, the image uh, of John Lewis, which to me, his previous 20 years or, you know, the last 20 years, he could have done a lot more than he did. But um, uh, Donald Trump took the high ground in not uh, talking about the egregious behavior of Barack Obama. But black conservatives like myself, um, I'm not at the same level as Candace um, and um, Brandon Tatum. It's up to us as black conservatives to defend him and to talk to, and to speak up not only for him, but for our fellow white conservatives. Because Donald Trump would have been called a racist had he said anything about that funeral. So I'm very glad he didn't. And um, that's what I wanted to say to her. We have we as black Americans, and I think. The number of people that are going to vote for Donald Trump, I think it's going to be 40% or more of the black population that votes for Donald Trump in November.
2: It would be unbelievable if they got 20, uh, uh, because I I know you would probably be more tapped in than I am, but I've never seen anybody say that he even get 20. If If he got out of single digits and got 15%, it would show the Republicans there was hope, because right now it's ridiculous, but they don't even try, and I think that's inexcusable. They, they deserve that vote. They gave up their vote in the 60s, and since then they just throw up their hands, and I don't get it. Uh, they should go out and, uh, and earn their vote. Uh, but, or the, or we just forget about that and just earn America's vote.
10: Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.